We the people of the United States. In order to form a more perfect union. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Civics, y'all. A political conversation for all of us. My name is Jadi. I was born and raised in New Orleans. I would say I'm a former political junkie, politics junkie. Well, I've always been interested in civics, in forms of government, in how um, societies decide or contract with each other to structure a society. And I believe in the Constitution. I don't think that we have ever actually implemented the Constitution <laughs> fully. So um, exploring that with y'all, I think, would be fun and interesting. I want to do something that's hopeful, like looking at things and saying, okay, these are like, how, how do we engage to make these things work? How do we make the Constitution work? How do we, how do we engage and and not be depressed? How, how do we find the ways to, to be able to move forward and, you know, create a, like a narrative amongst ourselves, but then also a narrative that speaks to the things that we're frustrated about currently and how we can say we don't want it to be like this anymore. Well, I, I view this moment not as something to be depressed about, but something to kind of study and maybe even be joyful about depending on how things go <laughs> because I feel like right now the constitution is being tested the structures of government are being tested and although many aspects have been undermined I think the bedrock foundational pillars are still standing and are still strong and hopefully after this election <laughs> in November you know we'll we'll have a new president in and we can, you know, solidify the cracks that have been created and our constitution will have weathered a storm, you know? So I, I look at it as something more hopeful, I guess. I love, I love that, yeah. Yes, that makes me happy too. I think you're wildly between like hope like that and, and then sort of like this sort of like depression about the current moment. But I, I, I've been having a conversation with a friend of mine um, about how I'm hopeful and how I'm fighting for the hope. And I think the hope is the fuel for the fight that I'm, I'm personally engaged in um, or trying to engage in. And one of the friend that I've been having this conversation with is, is not in a place where they can share that hope that I experience. And so sometimes it feels like my sharing my hope with them is almost like a slap in the face or an insult. And I'm like, reiterating over and over and over again it's like I think I would just curl into a ball in, in like the corner of my closet which is behind me and not very big so I would be like in the smallest ball in the smallest closet wedged between boxes you know if I didn't have this this hope as as fuel to keep going and it and there's also anger there like I think anger can be hopeful if that makes any sense I think we kind of view anger sometimes as this very destructive and negative emotion but I think that I guess I'm, I'm picturing anger as sort of like that blast of like rocket fuel that has to happen to get to like launch a spaceship, you know, and it burns completely out, but it's necessary to like get the spaceship through um, the atmosphere. 
so that it can like escape earth and, and do its thing. And I think that that's a very creative, hopeful, supportive, and, and like positive anger. So that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> it's not my introduction. Let me try my introduction again. <laughs> so my name is Emily Statstrong. I was born in Columbus, Ohio, and I grew up uh, until 16 in Marietta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. Um, and then when I was 16, moved to the outskirts of New Orleans. Uh, my dad worked in New Orleans, but we did not live in the city. We lived on the North Shore. So I finished high school 20 minutes away from a major city again on the North Shore of, of, uh, of New Orleans, which is not actually North, if I understand correctly. I don't know. Um, and uh, geography is not my best, uh, best subject. What do you remember about civics or American government when you were in school? What age were you when you took it? What was it called? What do you remember the most from that? Uh, so in school, the only civics I remember, I had a civics class in 10th grade, I believe. And I think her name was Ms. Nova. Uh, she, she taught civics. And I remember I was not a great student. My thoughts tended to wander in class even in classes that I enjoyed, and civics was one that I did actually enjoy. But I remember being in the class and zoning in and out of what she was saying. So she would say something, and it would make me think about something else, and I would go on a tangent in my mind, and then come back at some point, and she would be on something else, and then I'd, I'd hear something else and go off on another tangent in my mind. So my experience with civics in school, and I, I can't really blame school for that. That was just my own, I don't know, ADD or something. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I learned a lot of civics in school. I learned a lot from reading on my own. So basically, most of my um, learning, my training, my understanding of civics came from independent reading independent study and then of course there's law school which I don't really want to talk about <laughs> I learned a whole lot in law school but what I learned in law school was how to look at the constitution in a more detached kind of a way because when you read uh, when you read authors describing their opinion about the constitution it comes with a certain amount of bias but when you're reading case law about the Constitution, while there is bias there as well, it is the actual law of the land that's being laid out. And the approach that we're learning from is a more detached, more as unbiased as a human can be, a more unbiased approach to the Constitution, to the law, and to the framework of, of civics in, in our country. So I, I definitely learned a lot. In, in law school as well, which I understand most people are not going to have that experience. You know, most people are not going to have a, a law school um, background. For some reason, I'm not even sure why I wanted to be a judge at a very young age. Like, I've always been big on fairness and justice. And I don't know. I wanted to be a judge. And then I found out you have to be a lawyer to be a judge. And so then I was all right, well, I guess I want to be a lawyer then. So, you know, I ended up going to law school 
found out I really didn't want to be a lawyer <laughs> so much so that I kind of didn't even want to be a judge anymore. I can't even really pinpoint what it is that just I have this sense of just this real sense of fairness, you know, and judge seemed to fit the bill. Until you realize that that's actually like a horrible quality in a judge. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably not going to get you reelected. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you remember about your first election, Juddy? So my first election was in 96 with Bill Clinton. And I remember, I remember Bill Clinton played the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. I think that was in the 92 election. And so from there, I was like, oh, this dude is cool. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Who, who did he run against in, two, uh, in 96? Um, I want to say Bob Doe. Yeah, Bob Doe. Bob Doe. <laughs> yeah, Saturday Night Live had a lot of fun with Bob Doe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's been my engagement with politics. Most of my adult life has been Saturday Night Live skits. Um, and that, in those days, so my, my parents watched the news. And so every night I would be watching the news. So I didn't have like an in-depth knowledge of politics, but I had an understanding of what was going on in the world. I had, I had an understanding of where the two parties stood. I had a solid understanding of um, their political philosophies, but I didn't really get into politics until probably somewhere around Bill Clinton's second term, because I, I noticed uh, the Newt Gingrich Congress were being what I thought was unfair. It felt less like politics from a previous era where there might be disagreements, but ultimately we're going to reach a consensus. It felt more and more like because you are who you are and you are in the party that you are in, we are against you. It felt more and more like that, and it has just gotten worse and worse to this day where now without giving you know Obama a chance it was well we're trying our goal is to make him a one-term president you know I really hate where we've gotten that's why I say I'm a former political junkie because where we are now in terms of politics where we are now in terms of media which informs us about our politics is just it's so messed up it's it's almost impossible to follow what's really going on. It's almost impossible to really know what's happening and who stands for what and the impact of this legislation versus that legislation. And, you know, it's, it's, it's too much. I can't get to what I consider, you know, the quote unquote truth. And it's, it's the extreme partisanship. It's not so much that I definitely think there should be more than two parties, but it's not so much that there are two parties and they disagree about, you know, the approach to different issues. It's that one party is so against the other party that no matter what the other party proposes, the answer is going to be no, we don't agree with that. So much so that Obama took a Republican idea and proposed it. And the, and the Republicans were like, nah, we're not going with that. That's what Obamacare was. Obamacare was a Republican idea that a Republican governor, Mitt Romney, proposed. And, you know, it was supposed to be their thing until Obama got a hold of it. And then all of a sudden it was toxic. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just I hate where politics is gone. <laughs> 
in the last, I, I would say it started in the early 90s, but it's, it's just, it's gotten so bad. I, I really hate it. So what do you remember about civics in school? So I remember, weirdly, I feel like I took civics in middle school. Like that's my memory, but I checked back in with some people that I was in uh, school with and um, that I was in school with until I was 16 and I moved. And they were like, no, it was our sophomore year of high school. And that seems to be like generally when most people take it seems to be sophomore year um, or freshman year, Um, although you're usually you're not eligible to vote until you're a junior or senior, depending on how old you are. But I have sense memory. I have a better sense memory than I have better recall. So I don't actually remember really any details or, and this I'm sure is going to break my teacher's heart or my, who my teacher was, but I kind of remember the room in which I learned civics in. And I remember really liking it. I remember being like kind of nerding out over it and, enjoying the history and enjoying like learning about the process and being very excited to vote. And I think that that's um, another reason why maybe we teach civics formally to students too early because maybe, or maybe we need to do it, I think more longer term or more um, continuously throughout our education process because we, we want to sustain that excitement, I think. If there's too much of a time lag between when you're excited about civics and then when you get a chance to vote, I think that might be the first time that we lose a lot of potential voters um, is because of that time lag. So I don't remember any real specifics um, about civics. I do remember I learned it in Georgia, though. I, was in, I learned it in Georgia before I moved to Louisiana. So I didn't learn about like the Napoleonic code or any of like the, you know, weird specifics of Louisiana uh, law until as an adult, until I just kind of stumbled upon, you know, the weirdness of it all in experiment experience. So that, I think that's the answer to that question. <laughs> it's not concise at all. So what do you remember about your first election? So I was 18 in 2000 and that was a pretty infamous election. <laughs> I, you know, I don't even remember who was running against Bush, to be honest with you. Was it, it was Al Gore, right? In 2000, yeah, it was Al Gore. I'm pretty sure I was really excited to vote for Al Gore um, and pretty annoyed and sort of confused about what happened after, you know, in the in the aftermath of the election where Florida tripped us all up and, and we were all like waiting for the recount and, and or whether there would be a recount and... I definitely remember feeling disenchanted at the time. And it's kind of weird to be 18 and feel jaded about, about something, you know, where you're like, oh, this could be really exciting. You know, I mean, not that I was excited about voting for Al Gore, but I think I was excited to vote and that he seemed like the better option. I don't think I expected at the time to like, like the person I was voting for or like their personality or for them to have a personality. So I think I was more like along the lines of, yes, this seems like the right choice, Al Gore, you know, and I was excited about that. Yeah. And then for it to have it all kind of devolve into this, it seemed pretty obvious that there was some shadiness going on. And I think it was my, my first moment of, of sort of like, you know, my naive excitement, sort of that bubble getting burst because it was sort of like, we're just going to take, what we want (laughs) by any means necessary. And, uh, 
look over here, look over here, something flashy, you know? <laughs> but again, that is like almost what, 20 years later, that's my sort of memory or analysis of, of what went down in 2000. My name is Noel, like, like Christmas, not Nicole, not Noel, not Noah. People think it's Noah. I talk fast. It's something I've always done. Um, I was born kind of in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, and we lived all over the state because of my dad's job. And um, I've lived in Baton Rouge since 98. I came to Baton Rouge to go to LSU and just kind of stayed here. Um, I've worked in customer service, food service, retail for about 20 years, and I do administrative support now. What do you remember about learning civics in school? You know, how old were you? Was it called civics or something else? Well, I took civics in the 10th grade, and it was part of civics and free enterprise. So that was, that was the social studies year, 10th grade and high school. And the first half of the year was civics, so the government parts and what different branches did. We learned that the first half of the year, and then we learned about free market and free enterprise the second half of the year. So I very much remember enjoying the first half and being honestly, embarrassingly, really hella bored with the second half. <laughs> Do you think that that gave you like a good foundation or prepared you for being like a a participatory citizen? Well, I feel like it's, it was an enjoyable class. Um, although I'm not going to lie, I felt like it was one of those classes. I really was good in high school at those classes where you memorized a bunch of information and then sort of spat it back out on a test or mm -hmm. like BS and essay. So probably if we jokingly listened to, because we were 10th grade, and we're like, oh, you know, the silly schoolhouse rock business, but we would watch, you know, some of the videos because they were fun, you know, but we all loved them, so, you know, secretly, but we were, I guess, too cool to admit that we did in 10th grade. But no, I, I think it laid a decent foundation. I mean, maybe not, you know, three levels of concrete and rebar mentally, but, but I had a good teacher and it was a fun class and it was a, a good jumping off place, I suppose. What do you remember about the first time that you voted? Do you remember who, like what was on the ballot or how you felt? The first time I voted was in, oh gosh, 98 or 99, but it was the reelection of, or it was, it was when Mike Foster was the governor and he was reelected. And at the time I, I voted for him. I mean, it was kind of, Louisiana governors, I feel like, are both either, they're either like really kind of boring and mundane or really like interesting. Um, so it was, kind of, in this case, it was just kind of a mundane gubernatorial election. Everybody was satisfied as far as I knew. I, I think I remember because of where I was registered. My, I was registered because my, my address was in Avoyles Parish, where my parents lived at the time. And Always voting yes on that's that's one thing like voting yes if there was um, if there were any taxes for libraries or roads or anything because I remember being confused because you know it's like oh taxes aren't good but then going well they help and, and trust me you should see some of the roads I had to go on in a bus because I, I rode the bus all four years in high school and some of those roads were like no man's land the craters so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
just I just remember always like, oh, if there's a, you know, if there's an amendment or a thing on the ballot to, you know, help with roads or help with anything like that to vote yes for that. But I don't really remember that election was just kind of, you know, it was there. <laughs> but it was kind of cool to go into the voting booth. And then I was also really excited because they're like, well, you might get called for jury duty. And and I, even though I remember they always told us, like, if we got called and you said, oh, I'm a full-time college student, you got sent out. I always thought it would be really cool to get jury duty. And I haven't gotten it yet. Same here. Like, especially as a writer, I'm like, oh, that would be really interesting. But every time I've gotten, like, the call for it, I've been in a gig job where I would, mm. like, I would lose my entire income if I took it. So they excused me. So um, how do you prepare to vote? Like, what do you do to get to, like, educate yourself or to get ready to, to vote? Well, I actually ask um, some of my attorney friends to help me break down the language on um, on certain if there's an amendment or if it's if it's not a person because the language can be intentionally confusing. So I'm like, well, what does this mean? Okay, that's what that means. And then determine whether or not, you know, how I feel about it. Uh, we have a great app called the Go Vote app. It's free, and it, if you type in your registered information, it shows you what's on ballots, where you can vote, maps, everything, including a little ballot. Now, obviously, there's really not ways you can research from the app who does what or when, but it's a good starting place. So, I mean, I'm not going to look at the the mailers people send out half the time. I'd rather, like, find out who supports them. Um, is this somebody who is going to say they're going to like work for the people? Uh, what, what's their service history? Um, who they've worked for? Uh, do they work for interests like special interest groups, like big capitalist special interest groups, like oil, especially in Louisiana? Do they are they in the pocket of BP or Exxon? You know, or have they been a lobbyist for one of these groups? Are they going to look out for the interests of citizens or the interests of larger businesses? So I, I just, I, I see how long people have served when and where, um, what will benefit me as a citizen or how I feel like my interests are best served, I suppose. What really struck me too is about how when you were recommending the Knock Down the House documentary to me, you remembered one of the candidates who lost her, her race and were like, I'm interested in, in following this candidate's career. I'm going to see like where she goes next because she made an impression with you. Um, oh, yeah, Swearingen. Her last name was Swearingen. And she just was so, like, from, like, like having coal mining family and looking out for those people. And I feel like people don't, they, they get stuck in this country under the impression that nothing, one vote won't change, or oh, this is how things are. This is how things are, so, and I'm stuck here, and I have to work this way because if I step out of line or if I say I don't like it, then I can lose my job. Or mm -hmm. I can lose what I know and what is comfortable and what is comfortable and what you know. Even if the unknown could be a billion times better, the unknown is scarier than the, you know, the devil you know. And... That's one of the things that I like and love about that documentary and about what I hope, you know, what can be accomplished with this podcast is saying, okay, well, but what if my vote was important? What if I could go and vote and be active and 
be part of the change. What, what if, yes, sometimes some campaigns, it's like, okay, we're going to go next time. But then what if we were walking into that restaurant and going, oh, my God, I won. We won. We did it. You know, it's funny what, what you just said is I was having a conversation with my grandmother and I wasn't talking to her for the podcast, but she's been bringing up politics like more and more every time we talk and, and just kind of volunteering information. And she says, I'm going to vote. You know, she's like, Ruthie's bringing me my ballot and I'm going to vote. She's like, because I'm going to vote because my vote might count, you know, and like just hearing her say that, like my vote might count instead of like the opposite, which is like, oh, my vote doesn't count. Like just sort of that sort of certainty, but just like sort of like, you know what, it might. And just for that chance that it, it will count, I'm going to do it, you know? Yes. And she's, exactly. she's determined. She's like, and her, she, she said she was so cute. She said basically like, it's his fault that I've been trapped in the house since March. So <laughs> I'm going to vote. Yes. <laughs> she's 95. She just turned 95. Oh, so, and she's grandma. super social. Yeah. She's super social. So she's so mad at him for making her uh, have to stay inside since March. <laughs> yes my focus is really on like how how do i encourage myself and others to be as active as citizens as possible and not that that's not jadi's focus but he's looking at it through i think a constitutional lens in, in particular you know if you say that the podcast is about you know uh how to fix a car or something then i want to hear how to fix a car i don't i don't want to hear about your weekend activities so for me if we say the podcast is about civics, then I want it to be about civics and not so much about our personal lives, you know. Politics is personal. And um, I think that that's the, the irony of the way we talk about or don't talk about politics, right? Because like there's so many environments in our, in our lives in which we're not supposed to talk about politics, right? And it's like, don't talk about politics with your family because it's just going to start a fight. Don't talk about politics at work because it's not appropriate. You might, you know, you might piss off one of your coworkers or offend them, you know, and then between your family and your work, like in American life, what else is left? Like, where else are you supposed to talk about politics, right? Except politics is, it's everything. It's the stop sign at the end of your street. It's, you know, um, your neighbor being able to have a loud party at like 1 a.m. when, you know, you work at 6 a.m. It's every aspect of our lives in some way is decided or determined or arbitrated by these people we've empowered to do that. But we don't necessarily understand that because on a day to day basis, we don't think about it. We don't talk about it. So we're not paying attention. We're not paying attention to sort of like what we've empowered other people to do. Yeah, and I don't I don't disagree with you that politics is personal. Uh, civics, you know, in uh, politics in the form of civics or civics in the form of politics is personal. I don't think it should be. You know, I think that's the problem. Like, why shouldn't we be able to talk with our family, our coworkers, our neighbors about politics, about the things that's going to affect us, uh, you know, on a daily basis? It's funny because it's like, I'm like, where can we talk about politics? And you're like, we can talk about politics here. We just can't talk about the personal here. <laughs> and it answers the question of why are we doing this podcast, right? Like for me, I love podcasts that have, like, I want to know who the people are that I'm listening to. And I suspect that there's going to be an audience who wants to listen to our podcast 
who don't listen to other political podcasts. Like they're not the, the political podcast junkies that you are, that you'll listen to all of the dry constitutional historical podcasts in the world with like no personality, but just lots of information or little personality. I won't say none. I don't know. I think there's an audience for us that maybe has never thought of themselves as somebody who would listen to a political podcast, but they like us, they like our perspectives, and they're like, you're right, I should know more about politics. So so for the record, I'm not saying we should be personality-less. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I just don't want to know that you went to Whole Foods this weekend and they didn't have the cheese that you were looking for, unless that's what the podcast is about. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jody's not going to like this tangent Emily's about to start. <laughs> I really don't like that I'm going to be the right-wing person on this show. <laughs> I'm really not comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm so such a lefty that it makes you a righty. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I thought I was very left, but apparently I'm not. Apparently not left enough. Thanks for listening to Civics, y'all. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Next week, we'll talk about the rule of law. Wait, what the hell is the rule of law? Good question.